Amen. All right, we're there in Job chapter number 30. And of course, we are in this uh, section of Job where Job is concluding uh, the conversation with his three friends and his conclusion spans several chapters. We're in the second to last chapter of Job's conclusion. And if you remember in the last chapter, in fact, if you would just flip back to Job 29, if you would, in the last chapter, Job was reminiscing about uh, how things used to be. And he was remembering about how great things were in the past. If you look at Job 29 and verse 1, he says this, Moreover, the Bible says, Moreover, Job continued his parable and said, Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God preserved me. And I want you to notice the, the past tense there. He's thinking back, he's looking back, and he's, uh, his mind is reminiscing of how things used to be. And we saw in Job 29 that he goes through and talks about how great his life was. And we saw the amount of respect that he had and all of those things. In chapter 30, if you go back to chapter 30, we kind of uh, uh, shift gears and we go from reminiscing about how things used to be in Job 29 to lamenting how things currently are in Job 30. And I want you to notice that in, in verse 1, you see these two words, but now. So we go from past tense to present tense. If you notice in verse 9, he says, well, in verse 1, he says, but now they that are younger than I have me in derision. In verse 9, he says, and now. Again, present tense. And now am I their song. So we see that in, in Job 29, he was reminiscing about how things were, how great his life was. In chapter 30, he is lamenting about how things currently are. And chapter 30 is really the low point, in my opinion, for Job. Uh, in the next chapter, he's going to begin to defend himself and, and defend himself against a lot of the accusations against him. But in chapter 30, I believe we reach what we would often refer to as rock bottom with Job, with, with Job here. And this is a low point in uh, Job's life. And what I want to do tonight is I want to preach this to you, this chapter to you in, in two sections. I'm going to give you an overview of the chapter. I'll give you an outline and you can uh, take notes of that as we walk through it. And that, of course, uh, is an, uh, an overview of the low point of Job's uh, life. And then I want to go back and give you some applications, some takeaways uh, from this chapter. So I'm going to give you the low point of Job, and then I'll give you some lessons from Job. Uh, so I want you to notice here, and if you're taking notes, you can uh, write this little outline down, the low point of Job. Job hits rock bottom. First thing we see in verse 1 is the caliber of those who look down on Job. Job begins by explaining, and he goes into a lot of detail, or I would say most of the chapter, he deals with describing the people that are currently looking down at him. He uh, it describes the caliber, the type of person that is looking down on him, and he's being looked down on by those who everyone else would look down on, is what he's explaining. Notice there in verse 1, he says, but now they that are younger than I have me in derision. The word derision means to ridicule or mockery. And of course, if you remember from chapter 29, specifically verse 8, he said, it used to be that the young men saw me and hid themselves. It used to be that the young men saw me and they had so much respect for me that they wouldn't even talk to me. They would get out of my way is what Job says. He says, the young men saw me and hid themselves. And by the way, young men, that's a good place to be to show respect to your elders, to show respect to people in authority. He said, the young men saw me, Job 28, 29, verse 8, and hid themselves. He says, but now, he says, now they that are younger than I have me in derision. They ridicule me. They mock me. And then notice he says, whose fathers, whose fathers I would have disdained to have said with the dogs. The fathers there is referring to their authority. Their fathers, their bosses, he said, I would have disdained. The word disdain means to despise or to, to loathe, to have sat with the dogs of my flock. And if you study dogs throughout the Bible, and I won't take the time to do it, I've got too many things to cover. Dogs have a pretty low status in the Bible. 
In the Bible, dogs are spoken of as a very low thing. And this is really an insult that Job is giving. He's saying, now they that are younger than I have me in derision. He says, but it used to be that whose fathers I would have disdained to set with the dogs of my flock. He said, I wouldn't have even hired their fathers to watch over my dogs, is what he's saying. And now their kids, their, those young people, have me in derision. Notice verse 2, he says, Yea, whereto might the strength of their hands profit me, in whom old age was perished. For want and famine, they were solitary. Now I want you to notice verse 3. He says, these young people who Job would not have even hired their fathers to watch his dogs, to care for his dogs. He says, their want and famine, they were solitary. He says, fleeing into the wilderness. Now, I want you to notice that it's going to become very clear here in a minute. These people, they live alone, is what he's saying. They are outcasts. They, uh, for want and famine, they were solitary. They're away from the normal society, fleeing into the wilderness. Notice verse 4, who cut up mallows, that's a reference to a fruit, by the bushes and juniper roots, again a reference to fruit, for their meat. The word meat means food or what they eat. So he says they're out in the wilderness and what they eat, they just cut up mallows, they they take uh, juniper roots and that's what they eat. Notice verse 5, they were driven forth from among men. So these people aren't just out there camping, they're not out there by choice, They've been driven away from among men. They've been chased out. It's the type of person he's saying, because Job is explaining to us the caliber of the people who look down on him. He says, the people that are currently mocking me, the people that are currently uh, 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 making fun of me, he says, these are the people, they live out in the wilderness. He said, they're the type of people that they, they kind of just eat whatever they find. They, they, they just have tents set up, you know, just kind of out in a canal somewhere, out under a bridge somewhere, out. They're, they're, they're these outcasts. They're driven from among men. Look at verse 5. They were driven from among men. They're the type of people that when they walk into a restaurant, they're told, get out. Get out of here. They're driven away. They cried after them as after a thief. Why do these people, why are they not allowed? It's because they're looked down as thieves, as people who lack character. They are dishonest. Notice verse 6. To dwell in the cliffs of the valleys. Where do they live? In the cliffs of the valleys. In the caves of the earth. And in the rocks. Uh, He says, these people, you say, what is Job describing? What Job is describing, just to kind of bring it into modern uh, 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 use, would be just a homeless bomb derelict. I mean, that's what he's referring to. People that just kind of live out there, away from society. When they stumble into society, they're told to get out. They're told to get out of here. They're they're looked as people who lack character. They're thieves. They're dishonest. And this is what Job, imagine this. Imagine if you were, and we've got all sorts of bums around here, so it shouldn't take a lot of imagination. But imagine if you if you went down uh, down uh, 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 Norwood here, crossed uh, uh, the freeway, and went down into uh, in, in, uh, underneath the the bridge there, and you saw all that those homeless camps and those homeless tents and all those homeless people out there, drug addicts just lying in their own filth and their own waste, just dirty. Job Job says those people were looking down on me. He says, I'm being looked down on by those who everyone looks down on. I mean, could you imagine getting to the place in your life where you went down to hang out at the homeless camp under a bridge somewhere, and they told you, get out of here. We don't want you around here. And they started mocking you and making fun of you. This is what Job says. Job says, I've hit rock bottom. I mean, this is as bad as it gets when, when the homeless bums are, think they're too good for me. I mean, notice verse 7. Among the, bu- the bushes, they brayed. The word bray means to a loud cry. Under the nettles, they were gathered together. They were children of fools. Yea, children of base men. What, what's he calling them? He's, when he says they're children of base men, that's what we would call a low life. He says they're low lives. They were viler than the earth. And now, notice what he says in verse 9. So he describes these people. He says, this is the type of people 
that now he says, I am I their song. He says, they entertain themselves by singing and mocking me. Yea, I am their byword. Now, what's a byword? A byword is a phrase and usually specifically a name associated with something negative. You know, here's some examples of a byword. Judas Iscariot. You know, if, if you call somebody a Judas Iscariot, what are you saying about them? That they've stabbed you in the back, right? Because that's what Judas did to Lord Jesus Christ. Or here's another example of a byword, uh, Benedict Arnold. You see, that guy's a Benedict Arnold. What are you saying? He's a traitor. Job says, my name has become a byword. In fact, he's saying, my name has become a byword among the homeless drug addict bums, the people that people don't want around. He says, those people say, don't end up like Job. I mean, even we're better than Job. I mean, they're, they're using his name as a cuss word, as a byword. Notice verse 10. He says, they abhor me. The word abhor means to hate, but it has this idea that you look down upon someone. He says, they look down on me. They abhor me. They flee from me. He says, I, I, I walk by a, a homeless person. Look, isn't this the truth in society? You see some a group of homeless people and a, a normal person just kind of you know, walks around them. Job says, the homeless people are walking around me. He says, they abhor me. They flee far from me. Notice the last part of verse 10. They spare not to spit in my face. He says, they openly disrespect me. Because he has loosed my cord and afflicted me. They have also let loose the bridle upon me. Upon my right hand rise the youth. They push away my feet. He says, they don't want me around. And they rise up against me, uh, the ways of their destruction. He says, they see me as their enemy. They mar, the word mar means to disfigure. They mar my path. They set forward my calamity. They have no helper. They came upon me as a wide breaking in of waters in the desolation. They rolled themselves upon me. And this is what Job is saying. And he's given us this contrast because in chapter 29, he was reminiscing about how much respect he got. Remember that chapter? He says, young people have so much respect for me, they don't even speak to me. They just hide. He says, older men would rise up and and, and show me respect where they didn't have to. He said, I would walk into a room and begin to speak and everybody else would be quiet. I would give my opinion in a conversation and that would end the conversation. That was all that needed to be said. People, whenever uh, there was a group of leaders gathered together and they were debating something, at the end of the debate, they would look at Job and and they would let him kind of give the final word and the final say. Job said, I was a very respected man. He said, now even the homeless bums look down on me. He says, the caliber of the people who look down on me proves and shows that Job has hit rock bottom. So we see the caliber of those who look down on him. Secondly, I want you to notice we see the calamity that has become the life of Job. The word calamity means grievous affliction or misfortune. I want you to notice that his life could be described by this word calamity, affliction, misfortune. Notice what he says in verse 15. He says, terrors are turned upon me. Job, Job, Job says, I've got bad luck. They pursue my soul as the wind. He says, terror follows me. It's turned upon me. It pursues me. As the wind, and my welfare passeth away as a cloud, and now my soul is poured out upon me. Job feels like he's falling apart. He says, my soul is poured out. Sometimes people get to a place in life where they think, everything's just falling apart. Job says, my soul is poured out upon me. The days of affliction have taken hold upon me. My bones are pierced in me in the night season, and my sinews take no rest. Job is referring in verse 17 to the fact that he's in terrible pain when he lays down to sleep at night. And in other passages, he's told us about the fact that he's not able to sleep and not able to get rest. He says, my bones are pierced in me in the night season. He says, when I lay down, and he says, my bones hurt and my sinews take no rest. He says, it doesn't allow me, the pain does not allow me to get the rest that I need. In verse 18, he says, By the great force of my disease is my garment changed. 
It bindeth me about as the collar of my coat. When he says the great force of my disease is my garment chain, he's referring to the fact that the clothes stick to his open sores and his open wounds. Because remember, we know that he has sores on all over his body. And he, he says, I've got these open wounds and my, my, my clothes and my garment, they stick to those uh, open wounds. And when I do change those clothes, it's by great force of my disease. He says, I have to uh, rip that, uh, that clothes off of my wounds and it reopens uh, uh, those wounds that have been uh, uh, set by that clothing. So Job tells us about the caliber of those who look down upon him. Then he tells us about the calamity that has become his life. Then he tells us about the cruelty that Job perceives as coming from God. I want you to notice that Job feels like God has turned on him. In verse 11, he says this, because he, and the he there is referring to God. He says, he hath loosed my cord and afflicted me. Now, if, you, Job, if Job explains to you, he says, I feel like the derelict bums out there, the people that nobody wants to be around, they mock me. They look down on me. They think they're better than me. And if you were to ask Job, well, Job, why is that? The answer is in verse 11, he says, because he, because God hath loosed my cord and afflicted me, they have also let loose the bridle before me. He says, because God has turned on me, everyone else has turned on me. And he says, in fact, the worst of the worst, the people that everyone looks down on, thinks they can look down on me because God is looking down on me. He says, the way that God has treated me has opened the door for others to mistreat me. And Job is saying, it's open season on Job. Anyone who was envious of him, anyone who disliked him, anyone who did not like the fact that, that he was standing up for the poor and the oppressed, that he was giving justice and judgment like we're told in the previous chapter, now it's open season on Job. Now all his enemies can attack him. Now they can destroy him because Job would say, God hath loosed my cord and afflicted me. They have also let loose the bridle before me. Why don't you notice how he describes God God, and what God has done to him in verse 18. He says, by the great force of my diseases, my garment changed. Then he says this at the, the, the second part there of verse 18. He says, it bindeth me about as the collar of my coat. He said, God, he, he said I feel like I've been taken by the collar. You ever see somebody grab somebody by their collar, bind them by their collar? He says, it bindeth me about as the collar of my coat. He says in verse 19, he, referring to God, has cast me into the mire. What's mire? It's wet, slimy soil of deep mud. It's mud. Job says, I feel like God grabbed me by the collar and threw me out the door and into the mud. And I am become like dust and ashes. I cry unto thee, and thou dost not hear me. I stand up, and thou regardest me not. Verse 21, he says, thou, referring to God, he says, thou art become cruel to me. With thy strong hand, thou opposest thyself against me. Thou liftest me up to the wind, thou causes me to ride upon it, and dissolvest my substance. He says, for I know that thou, referring to God, will bring me to death. He said, what, what, what is Job describing here? He's describing the cruelty that he perceives as coming from God. In fact, in verse 23, he says, God, I know you're going to kill me. I know you're going to put me uh, through all this pain and torture, and then at the end, you're just going to kill me. He says, and to the house appointed for the living. Now, I want you to understand the phrase there. He says, I know that thou will bring me to death and to the house appointed for the living. What is the house appointed for the living? The house appointed for the living is death. In fact, all living people have an appointment with death. The Bible says, and as it is appointed unto men, once to die, uh, and after this, the judgment. Uh, here Job says, I know that thou will bring me to death. And he says, and I know that everyone has an appointment to death, but you're going to take extra pleasure, God, in, in killing me. But then he says this in verse 24. I think it's interesting. He says, how be it? 
He's just got done describing all the things that these people, the ridicule he's gone through, all the, 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 the calamity that become, has become his life, the cruelty that he perceives that God is doing on him. But then he says this in verse 24. He says, how be it? He says, however, he, God, will not stretch out his hand to the grave. Here's what Job's saying. He's saying, I am suffering at the hands of God. God's wrath is upon me on this earth. But yet Job understands that he's saved. He says, God's wrath is, his anger is kindled against me upon the earth. But I know that I'm saved. So how be it, he will not stretch out his hand to the grave. He says, God will not pour his wrath on me in the afterlife. You say, Job, how do you know that God will not pour out his wrath on you in the afterlife? Because Job knew that he was saved. He says, God's doing all these things to me, these mean things to me. God's being cruel to me. But he says, I know that he will not stretch out his hand to the grave. Though they cry in his destruction, he says, he does destroy other people in the grave, but he won't do it to me. He says, did not I weep for him that was in trouble? Was not my soul grieved for the poor when I looked for good? Then evil came unto me, and when I waited for light, there came darkness. So I want you to notice that we see in this chapter the caliber of those who look down on Job. Job says, I'm being looked down on by those who everyone else looks down on. We see the calamity that has become the life of Job. He says, my life is affliction. It's terror. It's misfortune. Then we see the cruelty that Job perceives as coming from God. Job feels like God has uh, turned on him and opened uh, the season against Job. And I want you to notice, fourthly tonight, we see the cast down attitude of Job. Job has hit rock bottom. He's very low and he's discouraged. Notice verse 27. My bowels boiled and rested not. He said, the days of affliction prevented me. He said, I went mourning without the sun. I stood up and I cried in the congregation. I want you to, he said, I went mourning without the sun. We would call this feeling blue. We would call this, you know, people will say, I feel like I've just got this dark cloud over me. And things are not going well. He says, I went mourning without the sun. He says, I feel like I just got this dark cloud over my life. I am brother to dragons and companions to owls. My skin is black upon me and my bones are burned with heat. He says, my heart, what's a harp? A harp is an instrument that, that plays a joyful music. He says, my heart also is turned to mourning and my organ into the voice of them that weep. So Job says, I've hit rock bottom. I mean, this is the lowest point of Job's life, the lowest point that he's described. He describes the caliber of the people who've looked down on him. He describes the calamity of, uh, of what his life has become. He describes the cruelty that he perceives as coming from God. He uh, describes his cast-down attitude. He's low and discouraged. So Job describes for us how bad his life is. But I'd like you to notice tonight that there are several lessons, several applications, several takeaways that we can take from the life of Job, that we can take from when Job has hit rock bottom. I'll give you four of these quickly tonight. I'll go through it as quickly as I can, and I would encourage you to write these down. If you didn't write down the outline for the chapter, that's fine, but you should write down these takeaways. I want you to notice the lessons that we learn from Job's low life, from Job hitting rock bottom. The first thing that I notice here is the fact that things can change for the good or bad pretty quickly. Things can change. Pretty fast. In fact, if you go back to Job 29 and look at verse 1, I want you to notice, Job tells us, sometimes people ask a question, how long did Job go through uh, this time? And I can tell you this. Up to this point, he tells us in verse 1, he says, Moreover, Job continued his parable and said, Oh, that I were as in, notice, months past. He didn't say years past. He didn't say decades past. 
In Job 29, when Job describes for us the life that he led, the riches and the respect that he had, and the fact that people admired him and wanted to be like him, you would say, Job, when was your life like that? He would say, just months ago. Oh, that I were as in months past, as in the days when God preserved me, when his candle shined upon my head, and when his light, uh, I walked through darkness. Job would say, just months ago, my life was completely different. Then we come into Job 30, and he says, but now, he says in verse 9, and now, he says, months ago, I was respected and revered by everyone, but now, the homeless look down on me. So what can we learn? Here's what we can learn. Things can change for good or bad pretty quickly. In fact, they can happen in months. Brother RJ just preached a sermon called Abrupt. And I think this is the idea that he, he was teaching. Things can change pretty abruptly. And by the way, I wrote this sermon before I left for the missions conference. Uh, so, you know, I think God just worked those things out. But here's, here's, a, here's a lesson for you. Do you know that your life can change pretty fast? We, we get this idea that, you know, life is as it is and it'll always be as it is. And I'm not trying to scare you, but I do want you to understand all it takes is one accident. All, all, all it takes is, 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 is one uh, issue with the economy. All it takes is one president of one nation taking things too far with another president of another nation. And things can change pretty fast for all of us. I don't think... I don't think, keep your place there in Job, go to the book of Proverbs if you would, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. I don't think that this should be a hard concept for us uh, to understand in 2021, because just a year ago, we went through 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, and life as, as is always has been for all of us, and within a matter of months, everything changed. And look, that can happen socially, but that can happen individually. Things can change. Things can change for the bad, and by the way, they can change for the good. We're going to see at the end of the book of Job, things change for Job in a good way pretty fast. Things can change pretty abruptly. Things can change for the good or the bad pretty quickly. In fact, just in months, things could change. You say, well, what can we learn from that? Here's what we can learn. Take advantage of the time you have. Take advantage of the time and the things and the resources and the opportunities that you have right now because things can change like that. Proverbs 27, verse 1. Notice what the Bible says. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. Proverbs 27, verse 1. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You can make all these plans and say, oh, you know, I'm going to get that right tomorrow. I'm going to start reading the Bible tomorrow. I'm going to start praying tomorrow. I'm going to uh, go become a soul winner tomorrow. I'm going to become a good husband tomorrow. I'm going to become a good wife tomorrow. I'm going to get my anger under control tomorrow. I'm going to stop drinking tomorrow. Tomorrow. You can be like Pharaoh. When do you want the frogs to, uh, to leave uh, the land? Tomorrow. You know what? Boast not thyself of tomorrow. For thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You know that you're not, you may not have tomorrow. You may not have the opportunity to do the things that you think you'll do tomorrow. You say, well, that's kind of depressing. Well, here's the, uh, 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 the encouraging part. You can do it today. You can decide today to do the things that you think you'll do tomorrow. Go to James chapter 4, if you would. Towards the end of the New Testament, you have the book of Revelation. If you go backwards, you have Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd and 1st Peter, James. Revelation, Jude, 3rd, 2nd, and 1st John, 2nd and 1st Peter, James. James chapter 4. Do me a favor, when you get to James, put a ribbon or a bookmark there, because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. James chapter 4. See, what we can learn from Job's life is that things can change pretty quickly. Just a few months ago, Job had all sorts of opportunities. Just a few months ago, Job had all sorts of resources. Just a few months ago, Job had all sorts of connections. Just a few months ago, Job had so much power. But now, things have changed. And you know what? Things can change for good or bad pretty quickly. So take advantage of the time, the things, the resources, the opportunities that you have right now. James chapter 4 and verse 13, the Bible says this, Go to now. 
ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. And look, I'm not saying that it's wrong to make plans. I think we should make plans, and I try to have goals and plans and ideas. But here, James is telling us, he says, look, don't, don't live your life in this confidence that today or tomorrow we're going to go out into such a city. Today and tomorrow we're going to continue there a year. Today and tomorrow we're going to buy and sell and get gain. He says in verse 14, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away for that ye ought to say. You say, well, shouldn't we make plans? Here, uh, James says, well, here's what you ought to say. If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. If the Lord will, if the Lord allows. I think Brother Oliver preached about the fact that you wake up in the morning because God allows you to. If the Lord will, if He allows us, if He gives us the opportunity, if He gives us the strength, if He gives us the breath, but now you rejoice in your boastings, and He says all such rejoicing is evil. And notice verse 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. I want you to understand the context of verse 17. He's talking to the husband who knows that he needs to love his wife, who knows that he needs to uh, be loyal to his wife and love her sacrificially and selflessly. And, and he says, tomorrow I'll do it. And James will say, you don't know what a day will bring forth. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. He says, you love your wife today because you don't know that you'll have the opportunity tomorrow. He's talking to the irreverent wife who says, I, I know I have a problem with showing respect to my husband and I'll fix it tomorrow. You may not have tomorrow. I'll get it right tomorrow. You, you know not what shall be on the morrow. You say, I, I know I'm a pretty lousy parent right now. I know that I ignore my children and sit them in front of a, a, a screen and let, let the television or let the internet raise them and I'm going to become a better parent tomorrow. You don't know that you'll have tomorrow. You don't know that you'll wake up tomorrow. You don't know that you won't be in an accident tomorrow that will leave you paralyzed and you won't be able to hug your kids tomorrow. So hug them now. Love them now. Live for God today. Things can change for good or bad pretty quickly. In fact, they can change in months. So take advantage of the time, the things, the opportunities, the resources that you have. Don't say, today or tomorrow you'll go into such a city and do this and that. He's say, if the Lord will, I'll do it today. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Hey, be a loving spouse today. Be good to your kids today. Don't go soul winning. Become a soul winner today, this week. Read your Bible today. Get that sin out of your life today. Because you don't know what a day will bring forth. I want you to notice the second lesson we can learn from Job's low life. Go back to Job chapter 30. Keep your place there in James. We're going to come right back to it. I said, number one, things can change for good or bad pretty quickly. In fact, in months. So take advantage of the time, the things, the resources, the opportunities that you have. I want you to notice, secondly, Here's another lesson we can learn from Job. As you study this chapter, you realize that Job has become pretty acquainted with the homeless of his community. He says, they sing songs about me. He says, they ridicule me. They mock me. They don't want me around. And he said, well, how would Job know that? Here's how Job would know that, because Job was trying to be around them. Job went out to them. Job himself has been driven out from among society. Notice verse 29, Job 30, verse 29. He says, I am a brother to dragons. Now, the word dragon there is referring to a dinosaur. Job talked about dinosaurs. We're going to get into that later on uh, in the book of Job. But uh, the, the idea is that he's out living with wild animals. I am a brother to dragons and a companion to owls. Remember, he talked about the fact that he couldn't sleep at night. So he, he's out in the wild, awake at night, hanging out with the owls. Hanging out with the dragons. You say, what does this mean? Here's what it means. Job himself is homeless. Job himself is out there with the wild animals. He's out there with the homeless derelicts. That, and that's why he gets this experience where they reject him and they say, get out of here. The homeless say to him, he shows up to their camp and they say, get out of here, Job. 
And, he, and as he walks away, he hears them mocking him and, and laughing at him and saying, don't become a Job, using his name as a byword. So how does Job know that? Because he himself is homeless. He said, what's the takeaway? Here's the takeaway. Not everyone that is poor and homeless is a derelict. Did you know that? You know, we have a problem in the fundamental Baptist churches where we just have this assumption that everyone who's homeless is just a a worthless piece of trash derelict. You know that not everyone that's poor and homeless is a derelict, but I will say this, the vast majority are. See, there's these two extremes. Go go back to James, if you want, James chapter 1. When it comes to homeless people, there's these two extremes. One extreme acts like homeless people are saints. They're just, you know, the reason they're where they're at in life is a result of society being bad to them and being mean to them, and, and, and society has not given them an opportunity. They're just these saints that need us to go and feed them and care for them and love them. That's one extreme. Then the other extreme is all homeless people are just worthless, trash, you know, and we should spit in their faces, which is what they were doing to Job. You say, well, which extreme is right? N- neither one is right. You say, well, how can all that be right? Because here's the truth. Sometimes homeless people are good people. And sometimes homeless people, and I would say most of the time homeless people are there because of drugs, are there because they're stealing and robbing and, and, and doing things that brought them there. Look, you say, well, name one person that wasn't a derelict that was homeless. Okay, uh, Job. Name another one. Jesus. Jesus said, the foxes have holes, the birds have nests, but the Son of Man has not where to lay his head. You know, Jesus didn't have a home. He was less of a home. He, he, he was missing a home. That, I, I think the way you would describe that is that he was homeless. Some people might call it home free. I don't know. Here's all I'm telling you. Not everybody that's poor and homeless is a derelict, but the vast majority are. You say, well, well what, what's our position? Look, our position is always the Bible. Amen. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read this for you. You go to 1 John, if you would. 1 John uh, chapter number uh, 3. You're there in James. You got 1st, 2nd Peter. And then you got the book of 1 John. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 says this, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Amen. Let me tell you something. It is a sin to enable and empower people who refuse to work. Say, so, oh, well, they would work, they just can't because they're drug addicts. Yeah, well, they're not working because they're drug addicts. They're not drunk, working because they're drunkards. They're not working because of addictions in their lives. And look, people that want to get cleaned up and people that want to get off of those things, we're happy to help them. Our church has helped many people with addictions and all those things. And we're happy to do that. If they're coming our way, if they want to get cleaned up, we'll help them get cleaned up and we'll love them and we'll pray with them and we'll counsel with them and all those things. But it is wrong, it is wrong for you to feed someone and care for someone that is uh, just unwilling to turn and to do uh, the things needed in their lives to get their life in order. See, a derelict, the, the, the word derelict is defined, I had it in my notes here, I forgot to read it for you. A derelict is a person who neglects their duties and has been abandoned by society. They refuse to work, they refuse to get cleaned up, they do things, and you say, well, what should happen to those people? They, the Bible says, any If any would not work, neither should he eat. And you know what? If we lived in a society that didn't give these people money and food and more drugs and all these things, a bunch of them would get cleaned up. Eventually you get hungry enough that you're like, this isn't working. Eventually you get down in the pig's pen long enough and you realize, I got to do something different. But we have an enabling society that enables people in these sins. And we've got churches that enable them. The Bible says, for even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. But you know, the Bible also teaches that there are poor people that we're supposed to help. 1 John 3, look at verse 17. 1 John 3, verse 17 says, But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? Go, go back to James, if you would. James chapter number 1. Look at verse 27. Pure religion 
and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. I was having a, a conversation with Brother Jared about this, and of course he leads our satellite church in Fresno, and Fresno's a lot like Sacramento, has a lot of homeless uh, people and, and situations like that. Brother Jared said this to me, and I thought it was a, 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 good, a, a good description. That one of the worst things about the homeless population, and we're talking about the derelicts, the people that don't need help, don't deserve help. One of the sad things about that is that we... There's so many of that. Our society and our churches are enabling so many drug addicts, drunkards, lazy people who refuse to work that we've all been conditioned now to just look down on them, to walk past them, to see past them, and to see through them. And the problem is that we, as hardworking people that are trying to be responsible, we've been conditioned to just look past and look through homeless people, not realizing that sometimes in those crowds, there's a Job. Sometimes in those crowds, there's a widow. Sometimes in those crowds, there's an orphan. I mean, look, honestly, sometimes in those crowds, there's a kid that, that, that was taken away from his drug addict mom and his drug addict dad and put into some sort of foster system that threw him out at the age of 18. And they're just kind of out there and there's nothing for them to do. I'm just telling you that not all homeless people, and get this out of your head, not all homeless people are these derelict bums. But I'll be honest with you, the vast majority are. And in fact, I think that a lot of them don't start that way and end up being that way because they don't get the help they need. And here's all I'm telling you. Sometimes there's, you, you may look, you may look in, at a crowd of homeless people and there might be a Job there. Job was not there for any fault of his own. Job wasn't lazy. Job didn't lack character. Job, Job didn't do anything that put him out there. But Job was out there. So what are the lessons that we can learn? We learned this. Things can change for the good or bad pretty quickly. So take advantage of the time, the things, the resources, the opportunities you have. What can we learn? We learn this. Not everyone that is poor and homeless is a derelict. But the vast majority are. So don't get conditioned to look past them. Get conditioned to judge righteous judgment and realize that there might be a Job. There might be a widow. There might be an orphan in that crowd. Number three, go back to Job chapter 30. Look at verse 20. Here's a third takeaway. Notice what Job says. He says, I cry unto thee. By the way, this is one of the areas where Job is incorrect. He's wrong. Notice what he says about God. Now, he never charges God foolishly. He never curses God. But here he says something that's not correct. He says, I cry unto thee, and thou dost not hear me. I stand up, and thou regardest me not. Now, there's lots and lots of verses that teach us that when we pray, God hears our prayers. In fact, Jeremiah 3.3 says this, Call unto me, and I will answer thee. That's a promise. God says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Now, Job says in Job chapter 30 and verse 20, I cry unto thee, and thou dost not hear me. I stand up and thou regardest me not. He says, I call and you don't hear. You don't uh, uh, respond. You don't regard me. And Jeremiah says, call unto me and I will answer thee. So here's the question. Was Job right in Job chapter 30 when he says, I cry unto thee and thou dost not hear me. I stand up and thou regardest me not. And the answer is Job was wrong. Because God did answer Job. Now, he didn't answer him in Job chapter 30, but he did answer him in Job chapter 38 through Job chapter 41. But see, the thing is this, that the end of the book seems really far away for Job right now. Job chapter 30 seems really far away from Job chapter 41 or Job chapter 42. Go to Psalm 30. You say, what's the takeaway? What's the lesson? Here's the lesson. God always hears your cry. God always hears your cry and will answer you. Here's a caveat, though. It may just not be in your timing or the answer you want. 
Job says, I cry unto thee, and thou regardest me not. Not true. God says, oh, I, I regard you. I hear you, Job. In fact, I'm going to answer you. When are you going to answer me? Not when you want me to. You wanted me to answer you like 30 chapters ago. It's good. We're going we have to get into a whole other conversation with a whole other guy named Elihu before I even start to answer you. And we've got a lot of chapters to go before we get to the end of the book. Here's the takeaway. God always hears your cry, and he will answer you. It may just not be in your timing or the answer you want. See, the Bible talks about Job. In the New Testament, in James, it talks about the patience of Job. But in Job 30, we see Job being patient. And the idea is this, that sometimes you just have to be patient with the answer of God. Psalm 30, verse 5. Notice what he says. For his anger endureth but for a moment. Doesn't Job feel like God has turned on him? Like God is being cruel to him? Like God is being mean to him? What could we say to Job? Here's what we could say to Job. His anger endureth but a moment. In his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. You say, what's the takeaway? Here's the takeaway. God always hears your cry. God will answer you. It may, not, it may just not be on your timing or the answer that you want. Let me give you the fourth one. We need to, we need to finish up. Go back to Job 30. Look at verse 25. Why don't you notice what Job says in verse 25? He he just got done explaining how people are treating him ill and treating him bad and, and the, the caliber of the people that looking down on him and the calamity of those people and the cruelty and the fact that he's cut down. Verse 25, he says this, Did not I weep for him that was in trouble? Now we saw in the previous chapter that Job helped those that were needing help. He helped the orphan. He helped the widow. He helped people that were in a hard time. And Job now is questioning He's saying, did not I weep for him that was in trouble? Was not my soul grieved for the poor? When I looked for good, here's what Job's saying. When I had it good, I wept for those that were in trouble. When I had the resources, I helped those that were poor. But now that I'm in trouble, now that I'm poor, now that I have need, he says, when I look for good, he said, I'm looking for a job, just like I used to come down to the poor and the needy and help them. Now I'm looking for a job. When I look for good, then evil came upon me. He said, I was looking for someone to come help me. And I saw my three friends coming and I thought, oh, they're going to do for me what I've done for others. And they just came and berated him and accused him and ganged up on him. When I looked for good, then evil came unto me. And when I waited for light, there came darkness. Job says, I used to help people, now nobody's helping me. I, I, I used to, to weep with people, nobody's weeping with me. I used to care about people, nobody's caring for me. Is that what's the takeaway? Here's the takeaway. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 6, you don't have to turn, I'll just read this for you. The Bible says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. And then it says this, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in, here's the key words, due season we shall reap if we faint not. Job said, I, I sowed certain things. I, I helped people. Now, when we get to the end of the book, 42, you know what we're going to learn is a bunch of people get together and help Job. He reaps what he sowed, but not yet. In chapter 30, he says, Did not I weep for him that was in trouble? Was not my soul grieved for the poor? When I looked for good, then evil came unto me. And when I waited for light, there came darkness. Here's the last takeaway. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap. The problem is, we don't know when or how long it may take for that due season to come. But here's what we know, it's coming. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we fade not. 
Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Hey, you just keep doing right. You just keep being good. You just keep doing what God told you to do. You say, well, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do as a spouse. I'm, I'm sowing everything I'm supposed to do, but my spouse is not uh, uh, bringing that. You just keep doing what you're supposed to do. In due season, we shall reap, is what the Bible says. You just keep at it. You just keep doing right. You just keep doing what God called you to do. That due season might be eight more chapters, might be 12 more chapters, but you just stay at it. It's coming. It's a promise from God. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Here's how the passage ends in verse 10, Galatians 6, verse 10. For we have, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Amen. So what's the takeaway? Here's the takeaway. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Say, but I, I have been sowing and I haven't reaped yet. Well, here's the thing. That due season, we don't know when or how long it may take. But it's coming. It's coming for Job. It looks so far away in chapter 30. But in chapter 42, he shall reap if he faints not. And thank God for Job, he did not faint, which is why we look up to the patience of Job. But sometimes, sometimes, in the midst of the fight, in the midst of the battle, in the lowest part of the valley, when you feel the lowest, when you feel like you've hit rock bottom, what do I do, Pastor, when I'm there? Is that when I quit on God? Is that when I quit showing up to church on Sunday night or Wednesday night or Sunday morning? Is that when I throw away the Bible? Is that when I say, God, you've done me wrong. God, I've done all these things. God, you're not here for me. God, you don't hear me. What do you do in the lowest part of the valley? You just keep going. You just stick with it. You be not weary. You faint not. Because in due season, we shall reap. Psalm 30, verse 5, again, it says, For his anger endureth but a moment, and his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this chapter in the book of Job. Thank you for these lessons we could learn from the life of Job. He's really hit rock bottom. I mean, people that others look down on are looking down on him. And he's low. He's discouraged and he's depressed. But we can learn some things. Lord, help us to learn that things can change pretty quickly. So let's not put off for tomorrow what we should do today. Lord, help us to learn that not every poor and homeless person is a derelict. Most are. I agree. Most are. But not everyone is. So let us not look past or look through. But let us look for those widows, those orphans, those jobs who are there who just need help. Lord, help us to remember that you always hear our prayers. Maybe you don't answer in our timing, but you will answer. And we always will reap what we have sown. It may just be in your season, not ours. Thank you for this great chapter in the book of Job. Lord, I pray you'd help us to apply it to our lives. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.